regrette rien Ni le bien qu'on m'a fait Ni le mal, tout ça m'est bien égal Rien de rien Welcome to How About a Time Machine. How about a time machine? A deep bite into history. My name is Arash Kakpour. My name is Diego Romero. And we're here today with our very first episode of this podcast to talk about performance and dance in... In British Columbia, Canada. British Columbia, Canada it is today. Maybe we move around some other day. But oh, yeah. This is where we are. Moving around is good. As Diego said uh, before to me privately, we'll have to buy a plane. <laughs> but that's not very possible at the moment. So. Not yet. Maybe once all the funding starts coming in for this. All the funding. All the funding. Um, why don't you tell me a bit about yourself, Diego? Yeah. Uh, I'm a little bit shy, but I'm, I'll try um, You're always, you've always been a very shy person. I know, it's tough. Uh, but, you know, I'm breaking through that uh, barrier. It's Slowly. Nice. Mm, uh, and speaking of ba- breaking through ba- barriers, I'm an astronaut. You're an astronaut. So. Ah, how was astronaut school? It's very nice. Uh-huh. It, you know, I, I've always knew that I wanted to be an astronaut deep down inside. Uh-huh. So, you know, I pushed through that. And, uh, and you know, I've been enjoying that very much. Uh, and, and how long have you been an astronaut for now? It's been a few years. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a young astronaut. And you like it? Yeah, very much, very much. And how are the other astronauts? They're good. You know, we do their own things. You know, it, it, there's a, you know roughly a sense of community, but not that much. You know, ah, it's I about see. going into space. You know. And how do you pronounce astronaut? Astronaut. Ah, you just simple. You, you just say it right off the tip. Yeah, you say it. Yeah. How, how about you, Arash? What uh, do you do? Uh, I uh, these days I I'm, I'm in physics. Wow, mm-hmm. these days here in physics, okay? Where I spend it? most of my days in physics. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, typing physics on uh, computers and uh, doing other physics things. Mm-hmm. Wow, so, and do you, do you, where, where did you go to school? Oh, everywhere. <laughs> that's great. Mm-hmm. I went to all the schools. Wow, that's awesome. They liked and, uh, me everywhere, too. They liked everywhere, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do you teach right now, or...? Uh, I teach. I, I do teach. I also spend most of my, the rest of my time just doing physics. Mm-hmm. Where do you teach? Uh, I teach at the Yale University. I've oh. been dean uh, for a few years now. That's amazing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I didn't know that about you. Okay. Um, I make them call me Physics D. <laughs> we'll get back to why that makes sense later. <laughs> um. And how many people do you think have logged off by now? Mm. I mean, I think we had one audience and half of that person. <laughs> Goodbye, half <logged> person. <laughs> we'll miss you. Half, 50% of that one person has logged off. Goodbye, 50%. Hello, half cup. <laughs> All right, so uh, this is the first podcast um, ever of How About a Time Machine, and we it's were... It's not the very first podcast ever. It's the very first intro. Well, there's been other podcasts before. The very first podcast of How About a Time Machine. It is the very first podcast. Episode, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, um, we were uh, lucky enough that uh, Lee Soufay, artistic director of Battery Opera, um, agreed to do uh, our first uh, episode of this podcast. And um, we will basically um, play that for you guys. 
Diego, uh, did you want to tell us a bit about the podcast and how this all came to you? I thought you were Diego. Sorry, Arash, sorry. Um, I didn't have a lot of... I didn't uh, sleep well. Oh, you don't tend to sleep much. Yeah, and then I mix up names and stuff. So, uh, so Diego, will you want to tell us a little bit about <laughs> it? <laughs> yes, yes. I'll tell you a bit about the podcast. So the reason that we started this podcast is uh, because we're drunk. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's like 10 a.m. Um, the reason that we started this podcast is because um, Diego and I both had some questions uh, and, and uh, a lot of curiosities about the dance history of Vancouver, um, of the place that both of us choose to make art and dance and play. Um, and we we kind of came up with the thought of asking or interviewing uh, specific people in the dance community or eventually maybe the entire dance community and theater community um, so that we could learn more about our history and about uh, everybody that came before us and how the performing arts in Vancouver got to the place that it is now and we just feel there's no better way of doing that other than just talking to the people who were there and are here uh, and since we were going to do that we figured we'd record it and share it with anybody who wants to listen um, so this is for us but this is for you if you want it um, if not we'll keep doing it alone in our bedrooms but uh, yeah we have been basically looking to um ask what we want to ask and, and figure out what happened or uh, get a sense of what happened b before we were around uh, mm -hmm. as we were uh, pretty much all in our 20s and, and uh, I imagine our generation also might want to um, know what happened and get a sense of... Uh, You're in your 20s? Yeah. Uh, and um, that's what, yeah. And also we'll, um, it, is, it is really focused on uh, Canadian uh, live performance and Canadian live performance creators so um, and we're starting with dance because that's uh, what we are engaged in uh, contemporary dance as astronaut physicists exactly we would now like to take some time to acknowledge that uh, this podcast is being recorded on the unceded ancestral territories of the Coast Salish peoples Unceded means that this land has never been relinquished or handed over in any way. To the best of our knowledge, this includes Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, on whose land we live, work, play, and now make podcasts. We would also like to acknowledge our ancestors for the rape, the murder, the alcohol, the colonial capitalist monopolies, the Hudson's Bay Company, the projection of power, the police, the real estate speculation, the gated communities, the recreational opportunities, and the resource extraction, and for bringing it all back home. Ensuring that no matter how much emotional or spiritual damage we may have inherited, materially, on a global scale, we've got it pretty good. Which means we can afford to be a little more generous. Generosity. Um, that last portion was the white man's prayer written by David McIntosh, artistic producer of Battery Opera, and smushing me and Arash's half-white side together, we'd like to say that as, or we said that as, wonderful white man. Um, so thank you, David, um, for uh, sharing your um, prayer. And without further ado, we'd like to introduce Lee Soufei. And today we have Lee Soufei, the artistic director of Battery Opera. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Sufei. And uh, I'm not a white man. <laughs> uh, we, we're both 
<laughs> half white, so if you put us together, we're full white. Ah. So. I think that counts. Yeah. I think that's yeah. I think together, <laughs> we get to go full. <laughs> together, yeah, this we have Um, uh, thank you so much for being our first guest on our podcast. Mm, very honored, very honored. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, yeah, we're gonna maybe ask about your name. Uh, My name. pronunciation. Uh, pr- pronunciation. I wanted to get it right. Souffle. Uh, souffle. Yeah. Right. Rhymes with souffle. That's what I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> Usually people, you know, remember after that. Although recently someone said to me at a party, does your name rhyme with quiche? I don't know. <laughs> souffle. It's the other egg dish. Boy. <laughs> oh, because they just couldn't remember that. Yeah, yeah. She remembered some egg dish, I guess. And That's amazing. <laughs> the quiche. The souffle. And then Lee. Lee souffle. So yeah, Lee first. Souffet, yeah. So, uh, at first... I Lee is my family name. Okay. And Souffet is my, you know... Oh, I see. First name. But, you know, I'm of Chinese descent, so Chinese people normally have their family name first. Okay. Um, I guess to start it off, we'd just love to ask you, even though I'm sure we both know a little bit, uh, what it is that you do, um, and uh, I guess how you've gotten to where you are now. Hmm, what is it that I do? Well, I, um, I identify as a choreographer. And I think of choreography as um, a practice that works with bodies, time, and space. Um... Sometimes dance comes into it, um, but not necessarily. I think of choreography as government, as a, as a mm. kind of gov. Well, it is government. You're organizing bodies and time and space. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> and, and so I, I, yeah. I, I'm a choreographer. I help. I make performances, and I help other people make performances. Mm-hmm. So I do dramaturgy. And then recently, I've become a voice teacher. Mm-hmm. So I do that, too. I guess a continuation of that, we're wondering maybe if you could give a history of uh, your dance practice and the voice work that you've been doing over the last little while and, and how you've kind of gotten to uh, to be in the place that you are now. Maybe you want to give us a history of your of your career, in a way. Wow. Okay. And, and skip out anything you... doesn't have to be the whole long thing, <laughs> but anything that you wish to say. Well, I started um, performing in Malaysia, Mm. and I think when I was 16, I joined, I became part of a a children's theatre company that uh, was kind of connected to the Ministry of Culture, and it was run by this woman, Janet Pillay, who is one of my heroes. Um, So I started children's theatre... But I was always kind of drawn towards things that, um, well, you know, movement-oriented. And and the the children's theater was very movement. It was very physical. And and we learned, uh, because Janet and a lot of my teachers at that time were part of a generation of teachers who were interested, uh, artists who were interested in... um, 
finding a contemporary expression out of mm. you know basically the remnants of colonialism and ruptures to tradition and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, Malaysia was a used to be a British colony. Mm. Um, and Malaysia's not a for those of you who don't know, it's not a homogenous society. You know, there there are many different cultures and and one of the results of um, colonialism, this British colonialism, was it left a society that was pretty racially divided, very mm -hmm. racialized, mm -hmm. and it continues to be so. So uh, one of the legacies of the British. Um, so, so I kind of uh, became an artist in this environment uh, well, with people who are quite politicized. Um, so I would say that that uh, desire to find autonomy, uh, some kind of autonomous way of uh, expressing myself and expressing all the sort of complex parts of myself. Because I'm, I'm, my heritage is Chinese, but I grew up in this kind of multicultural, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. sort of complex society. And I would say I grew up in this, not really fully feeling Chinese, but sometimes yes, mm -hmm. and then being um, a very conflicted relationship with Chinese culture, mm -hmm. um, and also with Malay culture. But you know, and through that children's theater, a lot of my first lessons in dance and theater were mm -hmm. through Malay uh, folk mm -hmm. and classical dance, mm -hmm. and in in many ways, you know that. Like Southeast Asian dance and music mm. is my f first love, mm. but I feel often it's like an unrequited love because mm -hmm. I, I I sort of never felt I could own that right. due to the socio political sort of realities of that society. Mm. So when. Uh, Anyway, from children's theatre, I, I started dancing. And my first dance teacher is a woman named Marion de Cruz. Mm. And she had just come back from New York where she had spent two years or so studying Graham technique. Mm. But her, um, uh, she had actually spent many years studying traditional Malay dance. And her, her MA thesis was on um, this, uh, the Joget Gamelan tradition, which is on the east coast mm -hmm. of Malaysia. And so that was the very first dance I learned, actually, was a dance called the Timang Burung. And, uh, Timang Burung? Did I say it? Yeah, Timang Burung. Timang Burung. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, you wear these uh, headdresses and you basically are mimicking the actions of a bird. Is it the one? There's a picture of you that's so beautiful. The, yeah, yeah, I'm the, sitting oh, in a closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that the one you're talking about? And then about? there's one also you're standing too, where you you're looking at the camera, I think. Ah, uh, yes, the one where I'm actually dancing. That's a picture of the Trinai, which Marion uh, also taught to me. And the Trinai is a dance from the west coast, the northern west coast of Malaysia, uh, and that's with candles. Oh, I see. And the other mm -hmm. one in the closet. Is, in the closet is, is the, the Timamburong. Yeah. Timamburong, wow. Mm -hmm. And the very first time I danced it, you know, 
on stage was in the Timang Burong. I, um, there was a little turn which I fucked up and I stuck <laughs> my tongue out. And I remember after the performance, um, Christian, who was also one of my mentors, and Christian mm -hmm. is Marion's husband, was Marion's husband, Christian's dead now. He gave me hell for being unprofessional and sticking my tongue out, you know, on stage and basically telling me <laughs> I had to do better. But basically, just in that short um, sort of story I just told you, that those are my three huge teachers in my life in Malaysia. Janet mm. from Children's Theater, Marion Cruz, and Christian Jit. And Christian Jin, is it? Christian Jit. Jit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Christian was a... He was a theater director. He was a... Um, he taught history at the university. <clears throat> Southeast Asian history, mm. but also theater history. And he was a, a long-time, you know, critic of theater and dance in Malaysia. Mm. So he was kind of like a big institution unto himself. And when you left Malaysia, did you continue with those relationships? Uh, when I left Malaysia, yeah. I mean, there was always this huge um, sense of uh, longing for them. They were people mm. I carried with me. Mm -hmm. I left Malaysia to go to Paris because I saw um, this guy I was actually dancing like one of the many dancers in this uh, Malaysian choreographer's piece. His name's Ramli Ibrahim. And during, it was like tons of dancers. It was the first time I'd been like in a, in a giant project where I'm one of the dancers and it felt really, it was super fun. Mm -hmm. And during one of the rehearsals, this there was this beautiful man who was Chinese with long hair sitting there watching the rehearsal and I'd never seen he didn't dress like anyone in Malaysia you know he, he, he. anyway he was watching the rehearsal and only turned out his name was Larry Leong and he had been living in Paris for like the last 15 years and he had come back for a visit mm -hmm. and about a year later he came back to perform and when he performed, I, I wept throughout the whole show. I'd never seen mm -hmm. someone dance like that. I'd never seen someone so beautiful. And, you know, there was a, a party a few days after, and I, I went up to him. I, I must have been about 18, mm -hmm. and I just finished school and thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. And I kind of said, I'm coming to Paris to study with you. <laughs> and he yeah, said, sure, <laughs> call me when you get there. And I essentially did. I had been planning, basically for the, you know, the two years prior to that, I had been planning to study theater. Mm -hmm. um, and leave And I had been planning to go to Germany to study theater. Uh, because, you know, you, you, education was free in Germany, so right. it was an option for me. So I'd been studying German to, mm -hmm. to do that. But then at that time, I was also wondering if I could do dance. And my dance option at that time was to go to Indonesia mm -hmm. to study at um, IKJ, which is the Institute of Dance and Culture in Jakarta. Mm -hmm. So uh, for me, at that point, leaving school, I was wondering if I wanted to do theatre in Germany or go to Indonesia to do dance. And then, you ended up and then I saw Larry dance and I basically <laughs> dropped all my plans in 24 hours 
and decided to go to France. Larry in Paris, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I know. And how long did you live in Paris for? For two years. And were you Yeah, he was wonderful, you know, because uh, he didn't really know me, and I just Mm -hmm. showed up, and he became kind of like uh, a guardian in a way, and a mentor. Yeah, I showed up thinking, you know, I was going to be his student and blah, blah, blah. But he didn't actually teach very much when I arrived because he got a gig with uh, Carolyn Carlson. Mm-hmm. Do you know Carolyn Carlson? No, I don't. Yeah. heard of Carolyn. Yeah, she's, she's, she's American, but she's made a career in, in France. Mm-hmm. So she's very well known mm-hmm. in France and in Europe. She's like a little institution. But she came out of that Alvin Nicolai uh, tradition. So she danced uh, with Nikolai. Mm. I see. Mm-hmm. In her youth. Guys, you gotta keep eating with me. That's when we get all the croissants. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm really close to the microphone. I enjoy this. <laughs> I hear the munching sound. <laughs> Someone's gotta keep. Anyway, I say all these things so you can kind of see the lineages at work. Mm-hmm. In, in, you know. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. That, uh, so in Paris, I I took lessons with uh, Larry. But I would say it was the first time I was like really immersed in sort of a European uh, contemporary dance mm-hmm. um, environment. It was in Paris. In Paris. Mm-hmm. I took lessons. Uh, most of the classes I took were, I took ballet and, you know, stumbled along <laughs> uh, because everyone said, you know, you have to do ballet. So I, I did ballet. Uh, and the the ballet classes I took were kind of Maggie Black type ballet classes. Which is what does that mean? Maggie Black was a teacher in New York, uh-huh. and she taught ballet. I would say kind of ballet stripped from it. Sort of, uh, you know how Chiquetti has all these like angles yes. and things. Mm-hmm. You know it's my understanding of the Maggie Black kind of ballet is it, it's very square and uh-huh. it, it takes away all these affectations and mm-hmm. some cultural affectations it just right. strips it down to anatomy which mm-hmm. and now I kind of think it's silly it's kind of like I'll be pretending that ballet is kind Candy. of neutral or something uh-huh. kind of I taking see. away from these. which is not possible to strip it from its origins no, I think it's it's uh, disingenuous to uh-huh. strip something. That, that's a whole other conversation, you know. I, f- I feel like generally there's a kind of denial amongst uh, uh, ballet practitioners and, and also in contemporary dance yeah. Yeah. Uh, when people say, oh, I do contemporary dance, I don't do ballet. Well, it's the same fucking tradition. Right. It's still a European tradition. It's still linear to where it is. Now. Yeah, and, and, and all those expectations... Um, and responsibility and obligations are in the body of how you carry yourself, uh, your relationship to the earth and to the sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. It's actually really the Or to the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that competition, I feel like we should definitely, it's like adaptation of other dances, should be probably one, a whole other podcast, podcast number two. Because it's such becoming really. Um, I mean, it's it's a uh, trendy and, and uh, very much apparent in the in the in the, in the scene uh, that we are in now, and also in Canada and the world. So that we like you know, 
I just, I'm, you know, as an audience, I was wondering what is that? What is going on actually? Well, the, the you know, a lot of the, a lot of the concert dance that we see, you know, contemporary dance or mm-hmm. yeah, ballet, they're white bodies, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. when when we pretend that they're some kind of neutral form, mm-hmm. you're basically they're white like they're, they're, you're basically continuing this notion of whiteness as normal right which you know is white supremacist thinking mm-hmm. yes. so I've, I've come to actually detest most of the dance in that body right. mostly because I'm bored you know I'm 50 uh-huh. I'm gonna be 52 soon so, and that's all I've seen most of my right. life so it, it bores uh-huh. me to death yeah Let's jump forward a few questions because I think it's more relevant here Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think good. just a question that I had was do you feel that that's always related to the proscenium show or to um, something being done in the way where the relationship between the audience and the performance is in this classical white theater type of way um, and if that's something that you feel needs to be stripped down a lot if it's going to uh, how you just phrase it if it's going to stop to be making white the norm um, if that's highly related to um, sitting your ass down in a black theater watching a performance for an hour after a blackout and then uh, just proceeding in the same type of rhythm that that it was, I guess was born out of or well definitely the, the space contributes supports that body mm-hmm. um, and contributes to that body but, but there are, it's not just the space and it, it's also a certain expectation of time it's and and the body, I think, mm-hmm. I, I think the that the skinny white body, mm-hmm. you know, our skinny white female body, mm-hmm. uh, is is part of that corporate capitalist kind of you know world that it's what we all you know aspire to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. taken mm-hmm. me fucking fifty years to like accept. The body that I have is, and then it's not a white body. Mm-hmm. And still, yeah. you know, those fucked up notions of what right. my body should be is still there, and it's all determined by a certain kind of white body, right. and, mm-hmm. a, and a certain expectation of certain lines, mm-hmm. of, you know, how my ass should look, mm-hmm. or how my thigh should look. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is, like, how do we how do we deal with that as a as a you know young dancers coming up and how to how to um, yeah, I guess I guess yeah it. It easily becomes traumatic in a way to yeah. There's to, a lot of violence. There's a lot of violence mm-hmm. in there, and so how do we how do we how do we go forward and mm-hmm. deal with that uh, mm-hmm. and learn from what's happened? Yeah, we're gonna move f- forward, but it does seem like it's like a, it's it's cyclical. It's like re- repeating. It's like yeah, and I think yeah, the, the trouble with dance and a lot of the teaching of dance is it's so apolitical, or people don't politicize it when the body is a political thing you know, mm-hmm. you know it's political yeah so if you don't question those things then you're you're dancing with an oppressed body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and you're telling lies because then people talk about dance as a freedom of expression and it's a fucking lie if you mm-hmm. haven't actually thought about the oppression on your body or, or systems mm-hmm. of oppression that you're perpetuating with your yeah. teaching uh-huh. yes yes it's like 
Yeah, if uh-huh. you're not acknowledging that it's, it's oppressed, then move on or try to at least get away from it. Yeah. Just repeating that same mm-hmm. oppressed body. And like oppressed body is, is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. It's so counterintuitive to dance to have an oppressed body in performance. Yeah, because well. I think actually dance, like in its most elemental state, is, has the potential to free you from oppressive systems, right? Mm-hmm. This is why, you know, governments and, and, and religious bodies try to shut dance down. Mm-hmm. You know, potlatches were banned, you know, the sun dance mm-hmm. among the Blackfoot was mm-hmm. banned. The, you know, once you stop people from dancing, they actually stop feeling, mm-hmm. uh, being in touch with their bodies. Mm-hmm. And once they start stop being in touch with their bodies you can you can you strip them off yeah and it's also also it's, it becomes a sport when it also becomes a sport for me uh, it also it can get dangerous in a way because this way we, we, we do with sports we're like just don't worry just watch that thing and just get get pumped on the energy and then go you know have drinks or something you mean from watching as an outsider instead of actually doing a sport uh, both in a way both because you know as a sport you want to be the the jacked person mm-hmm. going working out and stuff like that and then coming out and then you don't think about it you just do it you put the ball in the hoop mm-hmm. and I think we're kind of we dance it becomes like that just, don't worry about it just kick it out it's like yeah. whatever kind of thing and I think that's the same thing as a sport that actually is not serving us so. mm-hmm. yeah I guess the, the difference between play and competition yeah I mean when you're playing soccer or whatever I, su- I imagine mm-hmm. I'm uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't play team sports, but I'm uh, you're you're yeah. in you're in the present, right? Yes. So it's, yes. A, it's about being present. Mm-hmm. But when it's you're awesome, yeah. yeah, and 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 that is in a co- in a competition. Mm-hmm. But then the consumption of competition or the competition as the only way to to validate yourself, right. yeah, that's is problematic. Or in dance, it would be a career in dance or. In dance or performance in dance. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to mention Ersa Jerome Bell's piece while I was in Montreal. Oh, yeah. And he, I mean, I don't Which piece was this? It was his new, uh, what was it? Gala. Mm. Um, and that was, he gave a panel talk, and I don't speak French, so I was reading one of my friend's notes who also doesn't speak French but speaks more than me, so this mm-hmm. is a very, very second hand. <laughs> but he was just talking a little bit, or what I gathered from it was, um, other than suppressing dance, another way of suppressing dance would be, uh, he was just talking about the institution of training it into the body more and more and more and more, does the same type of job of, um, it's now about having a learned vocabulary than it is even about, um, even about doing something superhuman or finding beauty, it stops being about even, even that things and it just becomes about um, having the elite vocabulary that others don't have instead uh-huh. of finding any sort of freedom or release for, for a public or for an audience. Um, and his piece was, um, it was totally beautiful and there wasn't, a, from what I could tell, any professional dancers on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or at least you, couldn't, you could not identify training uh, as something positive in the piece. Right. That was right. really beautiful to see. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, this is the thing is, what are you training towards, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's utterly boring watching dancers with superhuman mm-hmm. um, skills. 
like these days, you know, I watch someone do amazing things that are, you know, at great cost to their bodies, obviously. And it leaves me completely cold because I go, well, that's not my body. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see myself reflected in that body. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see my struggles mm-hmm. or my vulnerability, my fears in mm-hmm. that body. It's, it's a completely, you know, it's a heroic body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice, but it's a nice... Uh, mm-hmm. But then sometimes <laughs> training... I think that there is something about tra- being embodied, about... I suppose like one of the, well, if you you know decide that dance is your life and and you, mm-hmm. you give yourself over to it, you are training is about learning about your instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's something to that. Yeah, and it might not be heroic. Right? <laughs> no, I think it's, it's hopefully it's not heroic. <laughs> about exploring rather than. Uh, getting better at one thing moving using mm-hmm. that as a step to mm-hmm. progress and I, I noticed this watching some street dancers in Montreal too where they're doing head spins I usually, usually I don't blink at it but I just saw the body so curious and negotiating every little tiny fiber of the moment yeah like, right that's this is why I'm finding this more interesting than going to maybe a Cirque du Soleil show because I'm really watching this person try something totally new even if they've done a head spin before it's mm-hmm. um, there's such a curiosity in what they're doing that mm-hmm. then that gives me an investment in them. Yeah. Um, and that's, I guess that's still training, but um, it's just approaching it at a, from a different level or aiming at a different place. Mm-hmm. And and also, it, it's an interesting thing because we dance to, you know, in our own particular ways, but then there are also certain things where we try and be with someone. You know, you dance with someone mm-hmm. to be in unison. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're, you're dancing at a club and, and, and you kind of like, fall into rhythm with someone or, yeah. or someone inspires you and, and you mirror their mm-hmm. body so there's a kind of dancing to be with mm-hmm. and there is a striving for something that's better than you or, or mm-hmm. bigger than you right mm-hmm. and, and that that's worth paying attention to right because yeah. I think that is one of the, the powerful things about dance is it you uh Or, or, or any kind of practice, it takes it out, mm-hmm. takes you out of yourself. Mm-hmm. So you're dancing to to lose yourself in a way, yeah, rather yeah. than to to be entrenched in your ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's to because it, you know when you do folk dances, often they're quite simple things, mm-hmm. simple steps that you dance with other people mm-hmm. and then maybe there's a moment where you can bust out. <laughs> right. But you know that that sort of negotiation between you as an individual and you as a group mm-hmm. and the role of dance in that yeah yeah nice. and, um... but the idea of dance is something as a, as a set of codes imposed on your body is I'm not saying it's wrong because those are certainly you know there, there are certain dances you learn to like folk dances or Mm-hmm. To, to be with a group of people and and there's huge joy right. in that mm-hmm. where, you, where you know you're just with the rhythm of you know mm-hmm. yeah, and 200 cool. other people but uh, but but uh, but I think within, within those systems there's always room for you to to, to bust out and to to, to be weird and, and crazy yeah. within mm-hmm. 
but then when 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 the the form became becomes really so fixed mm-hmm. and and yeah, yeah. yeah and and your body type has no room in that form oh. then then that becomes really so, so that's coding that you said like it's an in- interesting word to say if it's just codified in a way then it can't really the body can't breathe is mm. that is that like if i can see that when it's coded means it's because it could be trained but not necessarily coded yeah i don't know I don't know if I'm, I would go, I don't know if I would use coded in that sense, <laughs> but to sort of imposed, you know. I see, I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, maybe we'll move on to the next question, which is a... So I don't know if we got to where I am right now, but anyway. That was great. Got into Thanks training. For <laughs> <laughs> we, we got into a deep bite somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of deep bites. <laughs> I, 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 think that, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, my early training was not European-based training, mm-hmm. and I would say that has stayed with me. Right. Like, I'm, I'm super aware of it when I'm, you know... Uh, it, it affects how I see dance. Yeah. It, it affects how I see right. bodies and, and what I find beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, maybe uh, I was wondering about the Battery Opera. Uh, it started in 1995. It was formed. In yeah. I was wondering if you would maybe tell us how it was formed and maybe uh, its sort of trajectory uh, till now. Every last detail. <laughs> <laughs> Well, David and I uh, were married. Actually, we still legally are, but we're getting a divorce sometime this year. Um, But we, so when we met, you know, I was kind of dancing, and the work I did obviously was happening in in a theater, etc., etc. I was in that track of, uh, you know, dance and mm-hmm. on f- informal spaces and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, and David had a band called Five Year Fuck. Mm. Five Year? Five, five Year, year fuck. fuck. Wow. It, I think it started as a, a band called Five Year Plan when he was in art school and then eventually became a, a band called Five Year Fuck. <laughs> and Five Year Fuck had these performances in, in you know, in clubs and stuff where, mm-hmm. you know, he would flagellate himself with squids and stuff. Um, <laughs> and there was kind of this performance artish quality mm-hmm. about them. Um, and somehow we, I think I might have convinced him to try and put it on stage, like in, in a theater mm-hmm. instead of, in, instead of um, in oh, a I club. See. And that was in where? That was in Malaysia? Uh, here. In Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of formed the company very loosely we, we weren't really working together necessarily mm-hmm. so he did his stuff and then i did my work and so did five but we were all together? five fuck existed for a while and then they eventually uh they finished five years yeah ended <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay it's five years we want to stay together yeah. so <laughs> um so barry opera 
we always thought we had things in common, but I guess, you know, in retrospect, I, I mean, we do. Uh, what's in common is we still continue to have these conversations about uh-huh. art and politics and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so I think those things affect our work. Right. But uh, probably, you know, uh, in terms of form and how they we, the, the way our work shows up is mm-hmm. very different. Is that is that something that's happened more so over the last uh, couple of years throughout your guys' I think it's always been like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, although when we, you know, years ago we just said, well, I don't know why people say our work is very different. It's not. Of course now. I look back, uh-huh. and, of course. It's always been different, uh, but uh, then again, you know, when we were together, I used to think I looked like David. So, you used to think you look like David? Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> slowly. There's a thing called delusional. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny I've had that feeling too. Um. So, what am I trying to say about Barry Arthur? Uh, but in response to people kind of saying, why are you two in a company together? Why is there a company that, you know, mm-hmm. is an umbrella for uh-huh. both your works when it's so different, blah, blah, blah. I think for maybe about 10 years, we tried to make work together. Uh-huh. And we did. We, we made, um, there's a body of work that we made together. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. probably the most successful that, you know, would be Spectator. Mm-hmm. 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 Nice that was our t-shirt that was our big uh, success mm-hmm. although I think my favorite piece that we made together was Storm Storm mm-hmm. just because it was like when it when we finally like the, the final result just felt it, it it come from so many years of failure, you know. It, it had been there, mm-hmm. there was like many failed pieces that we always tried to rework, mm-hmm. and finally it became storm. So that was for me. That was a lot of a lot of it stood on a lot right. of failure, uh-huh. a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a piece with uh, there's the, all the all the men, all the men. So Ron Stewart, uh, yeah, Ron, Yannick, Yannick. David, and uh, Max. Although oh, there was a version you. where I played Yannick's part. That was one, one oh, performance where I was in drag. Nice. So yeah, that's Battery Opera. Does that answer your question? It does. I know. Oh, I have one more. It's a really cool name. How'd you get it? <laughs> you Where'd you that. find it? Uh, I think opera for me was always um, not like the Western opera. Mm-hmm. It was, although, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of opera. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was always for me like Asian opera, which meant, you know, everything. It was yeah. movement, singing, text, everything. Um, and battery came from, I think we were thinking battery like assault and battery. Mm-hmm. But also battery, like something portable and really utilitarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and we like the juxtaposition of like the sort of unwieldiness of yeah. opera, kind of like yeah. stuffed into, mm-hmm. you know, this small portable mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I think it's positive and negative too. Positive, negative, yeah. One of my favorite mm-hmm. names for any uh, arts company that I know. 
Oh yeah. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and also like it's just what this what it sounds like, mm-hmm. and you can't forget. You know, even oh, though yeah. someone they're not gonna say, oh what? Then that's never gonna happen, no. and that's really nice because uh-huh. you say, oh, you just told this contemporary uh-huh. performance uh, company's name, and they can remember yeah. it very often. Well, there's something just. Uh, Unformal object to super formal and object. Mm. Really and what do you think of when you think of battery opera? Um, I th- I think of the picture that you guys have at the hop hop shop every time. Yeah. Oh, Just, oh the David upside down. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, I basically I think I knew. Yeah, I think maybe the first time I saw it was like that's when you the website and I saw that picture uh-huh. the battery opera. I realized from that image too and also but just from the name itself I like the again the liveliness in battery and then the the death in uh, sorry mm. the, in, the, the death in battery right because right because the battery dies even if you return right, it's kind right, of right, 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 right. but there's also something really great about it just opera feels old feels heavy and uh, battery feels very light very portable and it's going to be used and new, yeah. tossed in a way uh, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's also like well, it's not a big deal you just use it and you toss it yeah it's, it's not a plug not right, a right, right, right. It's something really yeah, something heavy and something very light. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I like the juxtaposition. It is quite, yeah, this uh-huh. is so much. There's so many things that hit you right away. Right, right. It, it, yeah, it's really nice. Every time I, I feel like that's the, the the sign of a good name is that you you say it in your head or you hear it and you say, I uh-huh. never thought of that. Because right. you're changing and then you realize more and more, in, uh, you read more into that name, mm-hmm. which is so, so right. uh, exciting. Right. It can be um, a, a, a container that can... Yeah. yeah, I can't oh, that's a good way to put it container the whole thing. Mm-hmm. A name could be that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. <laughs> a container that holds things company. <laughs> too much, too much. He likes zooming out <laughs> and then looking at what he just said. Right, right, right. That's how we got this name. <laughs> Which one? Oh, even yeah. our extra long name that no yeah. one ever remembers? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, so I guess the next thing, and maybe we've covered some of the ground here, mm-hmm. but... Um, because how your practice has changed over time and how you've kind of gotten to the place now where you're, from what I see from the outside, a lot of voice work. Um, and I've only been around for like six years, but just the way that your um, practice and your performance has changed and how you've, um, yeah, I guess something on the development of how, why you're doing what you're doing now. Mm. I guess when I started, like when I, in my youth, I probably created dance like a lot of people. You know, I was trying to. I felt obligated to, to, formalize my body somehow, make steps. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought of choreography as making steps, making dance steps. Uh, and I felt the need to justify myself um, because I, I, I didn't feel at home in, in Western contemporary dance mm-hmm. forms, uh, or, you know, ballet-derived forms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't feel uh, totally at home in traditional Malay forms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt I needed to, to make my own form. So, mm-hmm. so I, I did spend a lot of time trying to make some kind of, uh, uh trying to codify uh, the, the, the movement that came out of my body and mm-hmm. into, into some kind of recognizable form. Mm-hmm. 
And I would say I, I've given that up entirely. Mm. Like I no longer so so for many years, uh, and that you might be able to find dancers who have taken classes with me where I actually taught martial arts. So my response to not being at home in Chinese, uh, in European. Uh, based dance mm-hmm. and not feeling at home in Malay dance was to study Chinese martial arts right. very extensively. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I did that very seriously for many many years, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I was trying to kind of find a way like to codify what I did based on Chinese martial arts principles. Right. And some of it was just also using Chinese martial arts moves, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so I taught Chinese martial arts, and I, ta- I taught a class called Approaching Dance Through Martial Arts for many, mm. many years. And um, But I, I kind of don't... So I've sort of given up on form now. Mm-hmm. And But I would say those principles are still at work in how I lead my life. Mm-hmm. And and how I I move mm-hmm. the the more principles rather than 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 shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and the principle that I still work with is one of it's a it's a it's a fighting principle. Mm-hmm. So when when you're working in martial arts and and someone comes at you with force what you're learning to do is not to to meet that force head on mm-hmm. and not to run away from that force mm-hmm. but to mm-hmm. soften or yield around it mm-hmm. and to and in doing that you'll find then the opening into your opponent's space mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. so I, I extrapolate that to deal with uh, resistances or blockages mm-hmm. in my body or in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I, I remember that from where your work workshops. I, I've done quite a few of them in the uh-huh. past five, six years that I've been dancing, and uh, yielding really helped me because I have this. You were talking about uh, this. I couldn't. I was scared of the conflict coming or something. Right, I couldn't right. be there uh-huh. in, the, in the present moment in a way, and then. The yielding allowed me to be there and know that um, I can I can have control over it, so I can get around it. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is and the yielding is the softening, so it allows you into sensation, and also you remember if you yield, then you always feel, you know, gravity and the floor support you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, wondering about um, ops. Yeah, have you? Uh, I mean, you might have in a way covered some of this, but but. I'm wondering if you have uh, encountered unexpected obstacles in your career and and what they were and uh, what they maybe felt like. Um, unexpected. Hmm. I don't know if these are unexpected. Well, but one of the consistent obstacles is my body. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a scoliosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and one leg is functionally longer than the other. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so 
it, it's not, you know, there, there are people with worse scoliosis than I have, but mm-hmm. it, it just meant that I've had to to deal with it. Um, th- there's always a certain amount of pain and discomfort that I've had to deal with. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really affected how I work with my body. So it's not been an easy body to dance with, mm-hmm. I, I guess is what I'm saying, mm-hmm. which means um, it's that sort of effortless um, athleticism or it, it's it's always been difficult mm-hmm. so my so it's so the principles that I've developed are ways also for me to dance uh, with less pain mm-hmm. and with a desire to uh, not not you know injure myself or to not to sell my body mm-hmm. over or to give up my body mm-hmm. in the service of that so being sustainable is important to me mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's one obstacle mm-hmm. and then going living in Europe I discovered the obstacle um, well, being uh, being in the margins has always been part of my life because in Malaysia mm-hmm. I'm still part of a minority. Right. Um, and and then you know I went to Europe and maybe that was the first time I discovered what it meant to live with this constant gaze of like this white gaze on the exotic Asian woman, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. this sexualized gaze. Uh, so that was a huge, huge obstacle that has also affected mm-hmm. how I think, how I, how I make art. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, my until about ten years ago, my sexuality was very dangerous for me to express mm-hmm. in that. So, as an Asian woman, as a young Asian woman, so I would say when I was younger, um, I I basically cut off that sexuality mm-hmm. from my how I presented myself, uh-huh. um, and that was just from living as right. as an a, an Asian woman, not wanting to be sexualized by mm-hmm. uh, by anyone. And so my my way of dealing with it was actually just to not express it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now as, that I'm older, it feels like I can express my sexuality without... Ha- you know, it, it's a different thing to right. to be 51 and express your sexuality as a woman. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has a different political weight. Right. Weight, yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the... Cool. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I think I'll, I'll move on to this guy, and then we, we can go from there. Um, so if there was only one artist left in the world, oh, getting heavy, I need you guys questions. Sorry, no, I know. I, I, I do. Do you have to say it's okay? Okay. So if there's one artist left in the world, mm-hmm. who would you choose that to be? <laughs> so there's well, me. Sufei choose Sufei. But but the, I'm just wondering for like uh, maybe to, uh, someone for us to look up 
as well somewhere else. Like, do you have an artist that you see in the world that inspires you now? Because there's one artist. Um, mm, oh. Wow. I don't, I, can, <laughs> I don't know if I can... I don't know if I can... Give you an answer like this and be recorded in etern- for eternity saying so. Hmm. Hmm. No, I, I don't know. I don't know. Cool. Thank you. I don't know if I can answer that. Um, are we doing this thing now? No, everything is here. <laughs> oh, I see. The good stuff. The good stuff. Oh, I guess uh, if there's something, uh, we know that you spend a lot of time teaching and uh, sharing information and if there's something that uh, what you see our generation and something that's maybe lacking or some advice that you'd want to give um, to either me and Arash or I guess but in the larger sense of our generation in, uh, yeah I guess I'll leave that there and if there's hmm. something that... actually I'm, I'm mostly very impressed by a generation I, I'm mostly um, quite inspired by you kids who are like in your 20s. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> no, I feel like you like way more than say I was at your age or, or say some of the people who are like in their 30s or 40s now. I feel you're like super in the world. Um, mm. I look at my son too, you know, like he, he's he, he's very aware of the world. He's very aware of politics. Uh-huh. He's very, very um, savvy about media. Mm-hmm. And, and he questions things mm-hmm. all the time. I feel like you guys do that. And, uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely inspired by him every time I see He's so, uh-huh. he's so grounded, but then he's so... Like, it's just, it's just you know, the, the thing he questions or he's wondering about, and then, you know, how he answers and... It's just so mature, it's amazing, and I'm like, wow, that's inspiring, it's nice. It's mm-hmm. really awesome. No, and, and uh, so I don't know if I, I have well, thank advice. You. <laughs> I'll tell everybody the one that gets a compliment. You know, recently um, someone asked me if I worried or thought about the future of dance, and I thought that you know I never worry about the future I actually don't care about the future of dance mm-hmm. but I do care about the future of our body uh-huh. um, and because if how we take care of our bodies will play into how we take care of the planet and right. each other mm. so in a way dance for me is part of that question of how we take care mm-hmm. of ourselves mm-hmm. and each other mm. but that's itself do I care about it I don't care fuck it all the hell mm-hmm. nice that's like maybe that's also one of the big changes for me in how I uh, my practice I actually don't care about dance anymore mm-hmm. I love yeah. it mm-hmm. I, I love I love dancing mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. the way it's performed the way it's sold, bought and sold, mm-hmm. not so much. Mm-hmm. The way it's consumed, not mm-hmm. so much. But it's very interesting. I, I think there's also, uh, I think people 
have built-in bullshit detectors. Right. So it does not surprise me that even as audience numbers drop for dance performances, <laughs> the numbers for dancing, like, you know, uh, yeah. dance, uh, swing dance, and ballroom dancing, and, and all that kind of stuff, all those numbers yeah, are going like, up. Festivals, like people go in the summer and stuff, it just keeps going up. Well, yeah, people, people actually everywhere. want yeah. to dance. Yeah. They don't, they don't really want to sit around and watch other people dance in fancy yeah. ways, <laughs> yeah, necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Necessarily, yeah. Thank you, buddy, maybe bring us to that one. Uh, if you had a superpower, if I had a superpower, what would you choose? Who, if I had a superpower, I would choose to be able to breathe underwater. Hmm. May I ask why? Um. I think I'm a whale, actually, because mm. whales don't breathe underwater. But <laughs> so the, the, okay. hybrid whale. <laughs> the, the analogy failed right there. But um, I lo- I love the water, mm-hmm. and I love um, I love swimming, uh, and I'm happy in water. Mm-hmm. And I think. If I could breathe underwater, yeah, just that sense of porousness between me and the world would be greater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, like, yeah, like just being able to find all that movement, mm-hmm. like a whole other range of movement. In water and a different relationship to gravity. Mm. I went swimming in the ocean for the first time this year yesterday. It was lovely. Yeah, so, the water is amazing so, right now. Yeah, yeah I was I in the water yeah. for a couple of days. I might go later. Mm. It's the time to do it. And I love going, I love swimming like naked too, like without mm-hmm. anything between me and the. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, next. And we're almost done, but. Uh, I was wanted to ask you if you wanted to play the, I give, I say two things and then you pick your favorite. Okay. It's like twenty questions. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, we did. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm gonna go. So stream of consciousness. Uh, mm-hmm. Black or white. Black. Fishes or birds. Fish. Brooms or mops. Brooms. Trees or street lights. Trees. Uh, beer or wine. Wine. Basements or rooftops. Rooftops. Lakes or oceans. Ocean. Soccer or basketball? Ugh. Basketball. Damn. Feet or hands? Feet. Raisins or chocolate? Chocolate. Dice or cards? Cards. Cinnamon or vanilla? Vanilla. A rash or Diego? (laughs) 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 Towels or sheets? Uh, Sheets. Uh, Candles or lamps? Candles. Microphones or megaphones? Microphones. Massages or acupuncture? Massages. Uh, Harley Davidsons or BMWs? Harley Davidsons. Wood or Marley? Wood. Sunset or sunrise? Hmm. Sunrise. Mm. Woo! 
Did you say hands or feet, though? I said feet. Feet. Mm. And feet would go mm. with, with. But, you know, it was... Right, yeah, of yeah. course, of course. I could argue for hands, too. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Basketball, yeah, basketball players are, are either bodies are seen uh, differently, because also it's so much closer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They're a lot bigger, a lot mm-hmm. large people. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. I think yeah, that does bring, it, bring, us, bring us down to pretty much exactly an hour. Oh, really? That's pretty... Cool. Uh, pretty Thank impressive. you so much. Well, I hope really that great. was somewhat interesting. <laughs> it was very interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I was moved... Uh,